not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my God, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we, can we all get along? Karen, horror death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week. Hello, Brain Trust. It's good to be with you again. It's been two weeks since we last gathered. And we don't even gather because this is a podcast. You're where you are. I'm where I am. And honestly, I recorded this. So I might be different places now than I was then. You might be in transit. And some of you are watching this live and not listening to it, in which case it's even more confusing for you because... I just said it was recorded, and you know that it's happening live right now. Like, for example, for example, Elizabeth F. said hiya, and I just responded and told you that she said that. How would I know that if it was recorded? So it's very confusing for most people, and I get that. But that's what this podcast aims to do is to unconfuse it for everybody as easily as possible. We got a great episode for you today. Blair Imani is my guest. She is a critically acclaimed historian, social activist, public speaker, educator, author, and most importantly, influencer, baby. It's all about the influencing these days, and she does it in one of the best ways possible. Also, there was a weird hissing in the background that just turned off. Thank goodness I'm house-sitting at my girlfriend's parents' house, and there's a lot of fancy stuff. I don't know. I feel... I feel like Tom Cruise in Risky Business. I don't know what I can touch. There was just a sprinkler going into the pool randomly at 7 p.m. Why? No one knows what feature that would – why would that feature be? Let's have a sprinkler go into the pool for 10 minutes at 7 p.m. For what purpose? It's like a fountain for people that want to be scared by sudden water jettisoning. Jetsoning? Jetsons? Turn off this crazy thing, Jane, please. So it's very confusing. Um, that interview, I recorded it already, and it was very interesting, insightful, funny. We cover some very cool topics. She's a very passionate human being. I recommend you listen to it. But first, we got to get through some of the news stories of this last two weeks on Earth. And as always, we start with the big story. The Japanese government has requested that China... Stop subjecting Japanese citizens entering the country to anal COVID-19 tests. After receiving complaints of psychological distress, you're damn right they did. I don't think you're going to get an anal COVID-19 test and just go about your day whistly doo That's not even a phrase. You'd be so thrown off by the anal probe. You don't even know how common phrases go anymore or speech... You know, so that's a that's a problem for a lot of people. I agree with the Japanese government's request. Word is not out yet whether or not China will honor the request. I've had quite the 
couple weeks, but two highlights I'll share. I went to the beach. Needed a break from society and quarantined non-society. Need to get outside, but not near people. Wasn't even a good weather day. Went to a dog beach. I kept jeans on or sweatpants on and a thick jacket the whole time. But it was still lovely. Drank some beers. Smoked a little weed. Thank God my girlfriend knows how to drive. And the only weird part was I did have to go pee at some point, And there's no bathrooms nearby, nor do I really want to use a restroom during COVID. So I did what God intended. I picked up my dog, waded into the ocean, passed where anybody could possibly see, peed in the ocean, while just pretending like I was inspirationally looking out at the vista with my dog, taking in the enormity of the ocean. Leanne Womack music playing in our ears. But really, I was just peeing. So, you know, we all get through it the best we can. We do whatever we can with what we're given at the time that we try to do it. And that's all you can ever be asked to do. The other piece of news is a really exciting, good piece of news I would love to share is I had an audition about three weeks ago and a callback about a week ago for if I were to book, it would be the biggest acting role pretty much as far as a legitimate major platform project uh, for one of the big streaming services. Let me just say to play somebody from the past, I'll say that. And I booked it and I'm flying to Atlanta on Monday morning for 10 or 11 days to shoot this show. And I'm so excited. Um, can't wait to do it. I could wait though for the COVID test. I have to get tomorrow and then again, two days later, cause it's going to be like an official, official COVID test. Not like one of those free sites where they let you spit into a jar. They're going to be putting a long stick up my nose right into near the brain where everybody says and I've avoided that experience all pandemic. So I'm not sure if the work is worth it, but I will do it for the arts. It's what they say, sacrifice for your art. They predicted a future in which the pandemic would require Q-tips in, in the brain. And so you do what you can. CPAC happened. So that was the stupidest collection of Maroon 5s possible. I will obviously, on account of that topic, be combining Thunder Round and the main stories. Because is there a difference anymore between the absurd and the reality, they are one in the same. CPAC happened, the Conservative Political Action Committee. Trump came out of his cave and said a bunch of inane nonsense. Every star in the Republican Party, the young stars, the old stars, came out and literally just ranted and raved like lunatics. I mean, you wouldn't give change to the people that were saying the things they were saying. Dr. Seuss, they're canceling Dr. Seuss. They're canceling Sesame to Muppets are canceling Mr. Potato Head. I love Mr. Potato Head. They haven't seen a Mr. Potato Head in decades, let alone touched one, let alone come to its defense. It's anything to create false wedge issues. They literally are acting as though liberals are canceling Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head. Let me just make clear to people who don't have functioning brains you're so pro-capitalist, the Republicans, as am I, as are anybody that lives in America under our system. It's, that's why I called myself a compassionate capitalist. You just need to combine those concepts into a good, humane way to be and way to live. But Dr. Seuss's estate, Seuss died a long time ago. Geisel himself, Theodore Geisel, his estate just decided to stop selling voluntarily with zero social pressure. Six of his many, many, many books that no one heard of mostly. 
because they had some offensive racial imagery in them. That's a capitalist decision. No one even put pressure. They just don't want to be racist as a company because A, maybe they have a conscience and B, it's bad for business. That's the end of the story. There's no debate on it. No one's trying to cancel it. Same with Mr. Potato Head. Hasbro, which, by the way, almost sounds like a great way to call some of these dudes speaking at CPAC. Has been bros. You know what I mean? Hasbro's for short. Wanted to change the name of Mr. Potato Head to just Potato Head so that they could sell more potato heads. I personally think it's a little silly, this one. You can still have the word Mr. and acknowledge men exist and have some toys that depict them. No one's making Barbie just be, I don't know, Arby and turning into a roast beef sandwich or something. But of all toys to make more gender fluid, it certainly could be the one with fluid body parts that you literally can take on and off. Seems like that's kind of an appropriate one to not have be solidly male. Does the potato head come with a penis that you can take off and put in different spots? I'm not sure, but maybe that's an add-on package you could buy. I wonder if somebody makes weird extra funny parts for potato heads that aren't the authorized parts sold by Hasbro. That's definitely probably true. If not, it's maybe a business idea I'd like to explore. Hmm. I don't know. That's for me to figure out and for you to ignore or try to beat me to the punch on. You know what I mean? I'm punch drunk at the moment anyway. And I'm with Bette Midler on this, as I've said. She said the real outrage is that you store the Mr. Potato Head parts in its ass. There's a compartment that opens up and whoop, right in there. So I feel like that's really, really where the outrage should be. Shouldn't be teaching children to store things in their butts. And I think that's something we can all agree on, could bring the country together. And then this week also, um, what company is it that did this? Uh, there's a warning label being put on Muppets shows on the streaming platform that's going to be airing them. Uh, I think it's on Disney Plus even, I'm not sure. And uh, they're going to be putting a disclaimer in front of each episode warning viewers that the show features stereotypes and mistreatment of people or cultures. Quote, the program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. And they further went on, rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge this, its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Beautiful statement. It's a little bit unclear what they consider to be offensive. Generally, Muppets are pretty chill and not offensive, but apparently there's one episode where Johnny Cass sings in front of a Confederate flag. Sure, maybe blur out the flag or maybe just put the disclaimer on that episode. That makes sense. But I read an article that made a very good point. No one's canceling the Muppets either because they're now on a major streaming platform and can be seen by more people than have seen them in decades. So expanding the reach of something I don't know if you know how words go, but is the opposite of canceling it. It's, in fact, enhancing it and expanding it and panda expressing it. I'd like to panda express myself. Express yourself. You better be you and only you, babe. Express yourself. Let me be me. I feel like Madonna got it right. That's what we all need to be telling ourselves in this day and time. Nicholas Cage got married to his fifth wife. 26-year-old Rico Shibato, Shibata. Not sure Nicholas Cage knows what marriage means. 
doesn't seem to have a great grasp on the concept. Sure, marriage is when you meet someone and you say, hello, I'd like to marry you. Ha ha. No, Nick, that's called meeting someone and asking them out for a first date. He's been married five times now. I mean, people get married five times, it doesn't work out well for them. Look at Larry King, dead. Johnny Carson, dead. It's 0 for 2 right there, Nick. I mean, I wish you you nothing but the best. But, you know, make sure you're eating your vitamins. You're going down a very dangerous road, my friend. He, by the way, proposed via FaceTime and FedExed the ring to his wife, to his now wife. It's wild. We're living in a wild world. The Biden administration's having trouble not only closing the facilities that are keeping children that are housed at the border, that was the big outrage during the Trump administration, but also because they now are expanding the number of unaccompanied minors that are going to be accepted into the country, there's an influx now coming in and there's a building towards a crisis point and they're now having to expand into new facilities and they don't want to use the same uh, cage facilities, obviously, that the Trump administration did. So they are thinking about storing and housing, not storing is not the right word, housing some of these people in uh, naval bases, army bases. It's a very confusing issue. It's still only two months in the Biden administration. I'm going to give them a little bit more leeway, but of course we are going to hold them to account like we hold any reasonable human being to account to treat immigrants coming here to seek a better life. I mean, it's on the Statue of Liberty. If you don't want to do that, at least erase it from the Statue of Liberty. So while it's still on, old lady Liberty, you got to follow true on that and handle with the utmost humanity these people that are coming to our borders. So we will give them a little bit more leeway to figure it out because there's a big ball of twine that's all tangled up that they need to untangle from Trump. Trump's tangled twig of twine. But at some point, we've got to turn on them and hold them as accountable as anybody. Johnson & Johnson got now a COVID vaccine approved, the third one approved now. Of course, there was the Pfizer, like 96% effective. Moderna, 95% effective. And Johnson & Johnson, 65%? The fuck? Uh, here's a great tip I'd like to personally share. Uh, give me one of the other ones. When I got a choice between 96, 95, and 65% effective, I'm no math wizard. But I don't want the one that leaves me almost half vulnerable. And I get that that's still more effective than most flu vaccines. But I don't usually do the flu vaccine. I do it when I have to. I do it sometimes. Did it this year. And I can't wait to get my COVID vaccine. But not that 65 bullshit. If, if there's a line for them vaccines happening and they're like, sir, you're getting the, uh, it looks like in the rotation now you're up on the Johnson Johnson. I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I got an important call. Let somebody else go ahead and get your 65 weak sauce, weak sauce. Shit. Come on. I mean, of course, I'll take it if it's all I'm offered. But damn. We're in such a backwards place. Texas and Mississippi and uh, Thursday now, I'm not remembering 
what state it is, uh, is opening up completely now. Opening up straight up completely. And governor of Texas, Abbott, super proud of himself, coming out saying uh, every business 100% open and we're removing the mask mandate. Something very easy to keep on while we're still in the pandemic and we're just months away from the public being much more fully vaccinated and a chance at herd immunity. Now's when you're pulling it. It's not even affecting the economy wearing the masks. You can still go anywhere and do anything wearing the masks. So what is the issue? I don't understand. But Biden weighed in, simply said the lamest of all insults about these governors saying, that they're using Neanderthal thinking by doing this. And of course, the Republicans even tried to make that an issue. They were def- rushing to the defense of Neanderthals, prehistoric humans before the recorded history of our species, unevolved, devolved, backwards-ass precursor humans. They ran to their defense. You think I'm exaggerating? Here's the exact text of a tweet. From Marco Rubio's Fish Tacos, it went like this. President Biden's use of an old stereotype is hurtful to modern Europeans, Asians, and Americans who inherit about 2% of their genes from Neanderthal ancestors. He should apologize for his insensitive comments and seek training on unconscious bias. Are you? (laughs) They're making up a cancel culture that doesn't exist. Sure, sometimes cancel culture can get a little extreme, but this ain't an example of it. You're allowed to make fun of Neanderthals all day and all night and twice in the morning. They're Neanderthals. They're dumb, dumb prehumans. This is not an issue. As, what's his name? Uh, Scott, whatever, the guy that ran for president and did just about as well as I did, but he's already in Congress and probably should have done better. Moulton? Was it Moulton? Had a clip go viral this week on the floor of Congress yelling at the Republicans saying like, stop talking about Dr. Seuss. Fight with us for the things that matter to this country. Thankfully, and of course he's spot on right. Thankfully, despite zero votes from any Republican, we were able to pass Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. $1,400 checks are coming. People making under seventy-five or eighty thousand. I don't know where it landed in the end. One of those two numbers. So not everybody gets it, and I'm fine with that. People that really actually need the money more. That's okay. It's not quite what he promised, but it's close. But this week, even I think it was ten, eight or ten moderate Democrats, aka these guys are basically Republicans, voted against the fifteen dollar minimum wage. Democrats voted against it. A Republican senator said he voted against it because, and I paraphrase, when I was a kid, I worked for $6 an hour. It was, I think he said 6 First of all, this isn't for kids. This is for the huge percentage of working adults that need the money, that need a living wage, and you adjust his salary, his wage at $6 an hour for inflation, it would be $23 an hour now. How come somebody can't just instant fact check that or call him out to interview in the moment 
shut them down and reset the truth on this shit. What's so hard? Why do we allow just complete idiocy to prevail? I found a P word there eventually. Don't worry. It's just a weird world. It's, you know, it's a weird world when like the most rational decision being made recently is Nicolas Cage being married for a fifth time. It's weird. I know it is. You're right, Nick. A Florida snorkeler found $1.5 million worth of cocaine. A good Samaritan discovered 68 pounds of cocaine valued over $1.5 million floating in the Florida Keys. He noticed a large black bundle wrapped up in tape and contacted authorities. The bag contained 25 bricks of cocaine. I would have reported it too. I would have reported 24 bricks of cocaine. 42 pounds of it. Coming in at around $800,000 worth. The rest, I'm going on a vacation. I'm selling it and going on a vacation. I'm not going to use it. But I'm selling it and going on a vacation. Now that I'm working for one of the large streaming platforms coming up, obviously I'm joking. I don't do drugs except weed, which I do very proudly. I mean, pride's not the word. I don't hide it. Tell you that much. In a related story, U.S. Customs seized and destroyed 194 pounds of illegal bologna. Smuggled in at the Mexican border. What makes bologna illegal? In what instance does it jump to illegality? Sir, I'm sorry, your bologna doesn't pass muster. Is it just old? Is it not refrigerated? What's the plan with it? Where is it being smuggled? Is it going Mr. Potato Head style in the bum bum? In the bum bum bum. I got bologna in the bum 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 bum. Let's hope not. Otherwise, you better get a big discount on that bologna, baby. A big old bologna discount. I'd like a bologna price break, please. On account of it being in a bum bum. Nearly 200 pounds. Caught by U.S. Customs and Border Control agents working in New Mexico. 22 rolls of bologna. Bologna. Smuggled in from Mexico. They discovered it in a 2019 Nissan Rogue. Yeah, it was a Rogue bologna smuggler. Which is going to be my new username across all platforms. Rogue Baloney smuggler at rogue baloney smuggler. Boy. CBP grabbed it and destroyed the baloney and fined the driver $500. And how exactly does one destroy baloney? Do you set it on fire? That would be just a very meat smelling town for about a week. Do you eat it as fast as you can? Do you get Joey Chestnut, who I worked with recently, went on SDSC? I won the first ever. Hot dog, and hopefully last ever, hot dog eating contest on Social Distancing Social Club. I beat Rachel Gallagher, Chris Bowers, and Steve Hofstetter. Rachel had six dogs. Bowers had 10. Steve, 17. I had 20 dogs, all 20 we cooked. Couldn't have even had more than that. I could have got another two or three. Wouldn't have liked it, but I could have. Didn't even feel sick afterwards. It was pretty impressive, if you ask me. Joey Chestnut was there to wish us luck. I digress. How do you destroy Bologna? Why don't they just change the spelling of the word already? My Bologna has a first name, and it's M-I-S-S-P-E-L-L-E-D. It may only be one S and misspelled, but I feel like if you have two, it's ironic. This is far from the first time that border control agents have discovered contraband. Meats being smuggled across the border. Just this year, there have already been a few instances. Jan 7, agents seized 20 pounds of undeclared pork. You want your pork declared. Everybody knows that. If you got pork, declare it. 
I have pork. Please be aware I come with pork. You don't even have to sing it, but you can. They would, they would applaud you for the effort. 30 containers of edible bird's nests from a passenger arriving on a flight from China. Why are they eating such strange things in China? Can someone get to the bottom of that? What is an edible bird's nest? Please tell me that's a candy or a chocolate made to look like a bird's nest. There's not actually a certain type of bird's nest you could eat. How could you eat it? They make You make it out of twigs and sticks. Are there certain birds making nests out of out of Kit Kat bars and celery? If so, count me in. That sounds amazing. A man from Kosovo attempted to smuggle in a suitcase into the country filled with 88 pounds of swine meat. I mean, a.k.a. pork, right? He claimed it was homemade sausages. Yeah, it was. If you got your swine meat in a suitcase, it ain't exactly factory made. It's definitely kind of a moonshine pork situation. And then smugglers last year also attempted to bring in nearly 20,000 pounds of contraband meat from China. It was hidden with a shipment of electronics and home goods. Not sure I want those pillows or Walkmen after that. Excuse me, this pillow smells a lot like beef. Is there any chance you could, like, spray it down first or something? And on that note, we got to get the Twitter answers, a couple quick plugs and Patreon shout-outs, and then to this interview, so let's do that. It is time for Twitter answers. We check in, as always, with the Glebe Squad, the Mad Ones, the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Friends with Benefits, the Big Glebers and all of us. To see what y'all are thinking this week, before we do it, and I tell you what the question was, a couple quick plugs. This Saturday, Greg Proops and I return for our monthly show, Greg and Glebe, it's a G-thing, improvised comedy, improv games, and questions from the audience. Fully interactive show, ton of fun. Please join us, tickets at nowheretime.com. And I had to cancel my show on the 20th, my Glebe Off the Top, because of the show I'm shooting. So the 27th of March will be the next Glebe Off the Top. So March 13th, Proops. March 20th, Glebe Off the Top. For either of them, go to NowhereTime.com, and you can use the promo code BRAINTRUST if you'd like, since you're the Brain Trust, all one word. And you get that discount, and you come join us. You can get VIP meet and greet as well after the show on both occasions. So check that out. And please do join my Patreon, patreon.com slash Ben Glebe. If you enjoyed all the free content I've been providing over the years, you can get the official Brain Trust membership card, Glebe Squad Black card. It's made of metal. Personalize your name on it. Free tickets to shows at a certain level. You get drawings from me, handwritten letters, birthday cards, video hangs, private video hangs, small group hangs, a ton of fun. Please check it out. I asked the Brain Trust. This week, what's the weirdest thing someone has ever said to you on a date? Jay, at everybody's ska, someone's still into ska, I didn't know that was even still a genre of music, said, went on a date where we ate breakfast in total silence after saying hello, and then I got up and left. They've been married now 44 years. That's a lie. Clawdog, the other Bill, said, quote, my nickname is Blade. Spoken in a Dutch Afrikaner accent while displaying her fake green jeweled 
handled knife parked at a makeout spot in Valley Forge National Park. You met a girl named Blade. Did you make out with her? That's the real question we're all wondering. Inquiring minds want to know. Yes. Mr. J at Durilac 12 said, I had a woman ask me, quote, would you like to try your hand at anthropomorphic taxidermy? 30 minutes into our first date. I don't know. Somebody wanted to get stuffed. On that date, somebody wanted to get stuffed. I think you understand the joke I'm making. The show will be at 5 p.m. on the 27th, by the way. Uh, that's true, yeah. 5 p.m. on the 27th, I believe, and 5 p.m. on the 13th. So there's that. Um, Peggy Amos said, him, a cis straight male on our first date, said, quote, how do you feel about using a strap-on with me? I'm interested in maybe exploring that. First date dialogue? That's first date dialogue? I guess that person hasn't been in a lot of long relationships where patience is the long game. Also, I think you might have just found a great candidate for smuggling beef into any country of your choosing. Maybe you can hit him back up and start an illegal meat trade if possible. Matt Theobald said in response to that tweet, I mean, your name is Peggy. Which is a strong point. Peggy replied, very strong point. I don't know if that term was used back then, but good point. Jen Levin at the Jen Levin said right after he said hello, he said, just so you know, I only have one testicle. Again, very early to come out with that. Right after the hello, hi, how do you do? I'm Ben, one testicle. Wow. That's quick. How fast were you planning on showing her that you needed to come out with that ASAP? Slow your roll, fellas. Nick Laz at Nick Lazaz said, a guy said to me on our first and only date that I must have chosen my coat for comfort instead of style. Damn, I like the honesty, but you ain't getting date number two. And lastly, Sheila Marie Dizon said a date asked her, can I eat your food and my food? Well, the phrasing is both hilarious and inartful and not quite delicate. I'd say something similar. I wouldn't say, I'd say, I'd say do you mind if I have a couple of bites? Going for all the food is a lot. A couple bites shows you can be comfortable with yourself and also you got a great appetite. I eat a lot. I'm currently trying to lose a bunch of weight for the show that they didn't ask me to do, but I want to do it on my own because I'm trying to get rid of this double chin before I tape a thing. I mean, it only shows at certain angles, but right now it's not an ideal situation. Luckily, I'm not playing a turtle that has to smash his face into his own torso. I'm not playing Mitch McConnell. I will give you that much spoiler alert. And just lastly, before we bring on my conversation with Blair Imani, a quick shout out to some of my best patrons that have been supporting me for so long. Becca Warden, won't you let me out of jail? Becca, jail warden, warden. Just got the keys to my heart. I think you know that. I think you know that, Becca. Brian, so sincere Slivka. It's a good man. Made me a Funko Pop representing me in the Glebe 2020 campaign. Solid individual. I was going to say Brian Slippery Slivka, but you're not slippery at all. Slippery is a fun word in some ways, but Brian, so sincere Slivka. Brianna, bafflingly wonderful human being, Bafford. Thank you. John, Bruce, Wayne, Duggan, thank you for your support. 
I won't tell anybody your secret, but he's Batman. Caitlin, the Greer that saved Christmas. Thank you for your support and for starting the Glebe Squad page, fan page on Instagram. Follow at Glebe Squad there, at Squad Glebe on Twitter. She and Kayla Gibson are running both of those and the Glebe Squad fan group on Facebook. You can also join the one started by Jessica Keibel. Jessica Mad Mama Keibel, who started the Ben Glebe's Mad Ones Town Council of Elders and Youngers, the fan group for the Glebe Off the Top show. So check all that out. And thank you to Jess for your incredible support and always supporting me so much over this incredibly weird time in history. Shannon, sorrowful we don't get to hang out more often, Burke. For your awesome support and wonderful pumpkin carving skills. Susie Figgy Pudding Figs. Susie Figgy Pudding Fig. There's no plural on your last name, but there is Figgy Pudding in the nickname I'm giving you. Some people hate on Figgy Pudding, but I like it. It's an acquired taste. Much like you, Susie. Once you get to know you, you're nothing but spades and aces. I don't know what either of those means, but you're a nice person. You're pretty cool is what I meant to say. And that's the thank yous for this week. And I think without any further ado, we introduce... My guest for this week, an amazing human. I introduce her more properly in a moment. So why don't we just cut to that? And thank you all for being with me. And uh, enjoy this convo. Last week on Earth. I am very excited to introduce my guest. And my guest needs quite an introduction because it's a very elaborate intro. Not that he doesn't. And she might not need the intro, but I'm going to give it anyway, because I think people should know. Blair Imani is a critically acclaimed historian, social activist, public speaker, educator, and influencer. The author of two historical books, Modern Her Story, Stories of Women and Non-Binary People Rewriting History, and Making Our Way Home, The Great Migration and the Black American Dream. The New York Times praises Blair Imani's unique brand, combining progressive lessons with vibrant visuals and a perky. Quirky delivery. Her work centers women and girls, global black communities, and the LGBTQ plus community as an influencer and historian, semi-retired organizer. Congrats to her on the semi-retirement and public speaker. Blair Imani is dedicated to making the world a better place and amplifying the voices and work of those fighting the good fight. I am so excited to have her here. Blair Imani, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm rather excited. I've checked out the podcast. think it's fantastic. So let's do it. I love that. It is Black History. It's Black Women's History Week, by the way. Yes, it is. And so that's exciting because my friend, actually, Feminista Jones, created it. And while there were like other attempts to do it, I think hers is so innovative. And it's the one that caught on. So truly, it's the most important one to me. But there were attempts to do Black Women's History Week at the end of March. March. And hers bridges uh, the end of Black History Month and the beginning of Women's History Month, which is intersectional. It's just very perfect. And so every month has, or every day rather, of the week has a prompt. And it's been fun to see folks. Like we did one that was like, um, name a favorite moment in Black women's history. And folks were like, oh man, I have to do some Googles. I'm not sure where to start. And I'm like, that's why learning's a blessing. Yes, indeed. I love it. And and also, Feminista Jones, superhero name much? My I believe so, yes. And she lives up to it in every way, every day. That is a pretty darn cool name. So Blair Monty is pretty cool, too. So speaking with you and not feminista, let me ask you, how do you feel Black Women's History Month 
Black Women's History Week is going. We just came off of Black History Month. Give me a little bit of a breakdown as a launching pad. Okay, so first, Black History Month was extra this year. I think that there were a lot of (laughs) newly woke white and white passing people who were doing their darndest to do the most. And when do the most is said in black English, it's not always a great thing. Sometimes it's exhausting. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was so much like I had to deal with sponsors who didn't want me to mention white supremacy, but wanted me to talk about Black History Month. Um, I also had really great sponsors like the Smarties Candy, like OG Smarties Candy from Trick or Treating. They did a a partnership with me, which was really great. Uh, But Black Women's History Week. It's been going really well so far. In fact, one school, uh, all of the teachers at the school are making the students use the prompts, the seven-day prompts from Feminista Jones, as extra credit. So I've been getting tagged in, like, the entire class's uh, extra credit post, which is cool. Like, I feel like, I mean, as somebody who relied on extra credit because I was a procrastinator, it's cool to be that resource for people. I love that. Yeah, I'm one of the great procrastinators myself. So we definitely are simpatico on that. So Looking back, you know, this has been quite the year. It's been quite the year for the planet. It's been quite the year for the country. And while we're going through, and by the way, I love the enormous jug of apple juice. I love it. Got to do it. Hashtag not (laughs) sponsored, though. Hit me up, Martinelli's. Martinelli's would be a a dream sponsor. So it's been such an all-encompassing year. So much has happened. And it's been a year when obviously Black Lives Matter jumped to the forefront of the mind of the nation in a way it hadn't really before. Um, do you think any real gains have thus far been made from that? Obviously it's a lifelong journey, but where, where do you think we've come at all during this last year? I will say that millions more people are aware of racism, which is great. Um, The thing is, some of those people are very keen to police everyone else. So, for example, I have a bunch of people on a daily basis telling me that I'm not being black correctly who didn't know that racism was a thing before June 1st, 2020, which is the day when it all happened. Because it was like the black people saying that. Oh, yeah. All day. All day. I mean, so it it was kind of the coalescing forces of the woman in the park in Central Park, Mm -hmm. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and the protests because people were unable to move away from the reality. They couldn't go on vacation. They couldn't chill, um, even though Ted Cruz attempted to do that anyway. Um, they had His to sit with the discomfort. His kids made him. You know, that poor oppressed man. So <laughs> um, I think that as far as gains, it's going to be hard to tell. I think that there are a lot of people who are making promises that they couldn't keep, and they tried to you know, own up to those during Black History Month, which is why it was so chaotic. But I think on balance, like this time last year, I had 50,000 followers that I had worked over five years to gain and I'd never anticipated I'd be an influencer. Now I have like more people than live in Honolulu following me. I have like 380,000 plus people uh, who are all very engaged. So it's hard to tell if we're going based on who we've lost in the progress, then that's you know, we'll, we'll always think of it as losing. But I really think that there are so many people who are more compassionate or who are more concerned, or at least who are more aware of what they don't know and who are listening and doing it on a consistent basis. Um, and I've just seen so many hearts and minds change and like just precious things like my friends who have never really previously dealt with their privilege. Their kids are now saying things like, uh, when I grow up, I want to be an activist. And they're like, planning stuff and they're like mom i don't want to wear that it's fast fashion like that's adorable like if you can impact people's <laughs> wow. kids you have change that is the key that is that is the key for sure and 
And I think that's a pretty good marker of progress you just cited there to be able to become an influencer without having to post bikini selfies. It's almost never done. It almost isn't. One of the first things I did post was a burkini selfie, which is like full coverage. Um, but it was so interesting because I think the key is like what I like seeing is that there's been so many of us who've gone viral because our work is in anti-racism and people decide to start caring about anti-racism. And I haven't had to change my approach this whole time. Um, and it's like, it's been really validating for me because if you're trying something and you know that it should be true, you know that you're good at it, but people aren't paying attention, you can start thinking, oh, maybe what I'm doing is wrong. And when I went viral, it validated for me that like, oh, okay, so I'm doing the right things. Y'all just didn't care about racism before. Awesome. And then I have to not get all super angsty about it and just be like, okay, I'm glad you're here. I'm not going to be mad about the fact that y'all have been ignoring us five ever. I'm, it's fine. <laughs> so there's that constant part too. Yes, it's true. There's a comedian, Gary Gullman, who said that if you just put away your social media, not posting, but looking at the comments and looking at the responses for like six months, you'll be surprised at how far you can get. But I'm, un I'm, I'm incapable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I took a break from Twitter and I went back. And when I got back, like it like so while I was off Twitter, I was like, hmm, I don't like what the Jeopardy host is wearing, but I'm not going to yell at it on the Internet. I'm just going to sit with those thoughts. because I can't <laughs> change it anyway. And it was just like reframing those things. But yeah, it's it's hard to like, I mean, the social media is gen engineered to make us click on everything at all times and be super governed by how distressing it is. Um, but we got to know that and then govern our lives accordingly because you can get lost in the sauce if you want to, but it should be a choice. It shouldn't just be like brainwashing. Agreed with that. So there's plenty of more meaningful things to get lost in the sauce of and you take on so many of them. So, you. you know, as I said in your bio, you're a semi-retired organizer. Um, what, where'd the burnout come from? And it seems like you're basically still doing it, but you're just doing it digitally. So explain that process. So, okay. So being an organizer, like make, like moving people, getting folks to come to places to do protests and stuff. Uh, the government doesn't love that with people, but nobody's attacking historians. So I kind of took a calculated risk when I like kind of shifted what I do. I'm still very much active in the work that I do. But when they start like, you know, calling the insurrectionists at the Capitol activists, it starts to lose meaning. So I'm cool. Um, and so as a historian, I feel like it's still very much what I do. And people call me an activist historian because I tell the truth instead of like, the Europe, like, for example, folks will say that last names came out of uh, the 12th century in Europe. But meanwhile, in Japan, for like, a thousand years before they've been using last names. So like, what's the truth? And if I tell the truth, people are like, Oh, my gosh, what an activist. And I'm just like, okay, the bar is so low. So people are not coming <laughs> after historians the same way they're coming after organizers. So I feel much more secure in doing that. And so a lot of my work is very similar. Um, but it's still motivating people to come to a place and you never really lose that skill. Um, it just becomes increasingly difficult to sustain that work. But I mean, the burnout comes from like, oh, I'm really tired. I need to nap. But if I nap right now, I could be organizing a protest to end hunger in this city. Like, and then it kind of becomes impossible for you to nap. And so mm -hmm. um, there's actually a, web, a site called the Nap Ministry that talks about how rest is revolutionary. Speaking of just taking naps, um, highly recommend. But it's, it's really religion. easy. I have just found religion. Oh, my God. There goodness. you go. <laughs> Amen. Um, and so I think that it's easy to get bogged down when we feel like we're the only ones who can solve a problem. And the solution to that is to start building networks. And it's really hard to do with a pandemic. But like. 
small things to fight isolation, like writing letters to people, texting people, getting on the phone and not only Zooms, what? Um, those types <laughs> of things to really deepen your connections to other people. That's how you prevent yourself from getting burnt out and making sure that you're not the only one doing it. You're passing on that education as well. And as an educator, I'm constantly just seeing the fruits of that work, like just seeing people apply the work and approach it properly in real time. That's something that like is so re so rejuvenating because you work super hard on a lesson and then people like it and they're like, hey, I learned this from you. It's like, what? Like um, yesterday I did a lesson on woman with an X and how when people use it to label people who are women and who are not women as an umbrella term, that's harmful. Keeping in mind that cisgender women are women and transgender women are women, but non-binary folks who specifically don't describe themselves as women shouldn't be applied this label as an umbrella because that's not inclusion. That's rude. And so you're saying um, W-O-M-X-N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't know how to pronounce that either. So that's <laughs> another reason why it sucks. But yeah. um, as soon as I posted it an hour later, my smarties who that's what I call my followers were like, hey, company, you posted this. Blair just educated about it. And I just learned about it two seconds ago, but it's wrong. And you should know that. And you're bad for doing it. And I'm like, oh, wow. OK, maybe the last part can be left out. But people yeah. are clearly, uh, you know, absorbing the lesson. Yeah, that that's the most important part of it. People do take the ball and run with it sometimes. But um, so that that, I guess, leads to what I'm curious about next is that you you take on so many issues, not that we can ever prioritize an order of what to tackle, but it feels like sometimes how we don't the part of the reason why we don't solve anything is because we're always kind of like dipping our toe into so many different things. How do you focus your efforts? And like, if you could state what your, if you have one or two specific biggest goals, what would they be in, in your work? I think the big goals is for everyone to recognize each other's humanity at all times. So like not to dehumanize people, we do that a lot. Like, oh, that person sucks. Like then it turns into, and that person is a lesser, lesser form of life. Like, mm -hmm. okay, stop short of that. Maybe attack what they've done wrong, but not that person. Cause that's not healthy for us or the other person. And it doesn't mean we have to be best friends with everybody. It just means that like, Hey, at all times, all humans are human and should be treated like humans, even when we hate them and they're murderers, like just treat people like people. That's all, you know? And so, um, doesn't mean trust them. Doesn't mean intermingle with them at all times. It just means like humanity first period. And so um, that's a huge thing for me. Of course I say that. And like it re reveals one of my like non-priorities, which is like animal rights is a concern for me, but I don't concern myself with the c conversation around speciesism. And if you haven't learned what that gem of a word is, it's um, when you only care about one species and I care about the human species the most. And that doesn't make me a bad person. And so like you can get really burnt out if you're feeling like you have to be at everyone else's level of wokeness or understanding or concern. But the key is to, as it relates to my, my um, focuses is to find the interconnections between them. So when it comes to white supremacy, white supremacy is held up by anti-blackness and anti-Semitism and patriarchy and homophobia and all these other things and ableism. And so if I'm fighting white supremacy, I'm not just going to do that at one axis. I'm going to make sure that I'm including all the people who are harmed by it um, and move forward accordingly. And then when you start doing that and you start looking at things like decolonization, not just the outcomes of, of colonization, which are things like borders, capitalism, et cetera, but going back to the root of it and you fight the root, a lot of the things get uh, relieved. And if we look at things like that, then it starts to connect to, 
oh, okay, well, if there's such an overemphasis on uh, the way that we do agriculture and people are being harmed as we're doing agriculture, oh, then we can take care of the planet as well because it's all very much interconnected. So the work gets done. um, But as far as like sitting in one bucket and being like, okay, well, right now I'm climate justice. Right now I'm black justice. Right now I'm gay justice. It's like, surprise, uh, there's a black gay person living in a food desert that is also super over polluted because of redlining. So let's focus on redlining and that will start taking care of the outcomes instead of thinking it as like it being siloed completely all the time. That's really smart. Yeah. I was having a conversation with Tiffany Haddish about this recently and she was saying about how, and she was talking about it more specifically, but she was saying that black people and Jewish people really have to team up because we're fighting the same problems. And if we keep fighting it just with our own group towards the oppressing party, it's just so much weaker. It's not as much strength in numbers. And if we can just all kind of combine and say, as a humanity, these are the things we're doing wrong and these are the things we're doing right, we should be able to tackle problems more because then they can get painted more clearly, not as just this group wants this fixed. We want this fixed for us. It's that you're being dicks. You're being evil people. We're being good. Those are not because we, we, we're the thing I can't get over, and I wonder if you have any insight into this, is that we're stuck so much in this ridiculous place lately in our society where evil, ridiculous, hurtful, marginalizing opinions are given equal say as though they're valid, as though th- that's just two sides to a debate. You'll say something about human rights in a political argument, and somebody will, will reply and say, don't hate me because of my political opinions. Political is life. It's everything. Yeah, there's there's so many things that relate to that. So when we understand politics, politics and political beliefs are related to how we believe power should be distributed. And if you believe that the way that power should be distributed is to fuck everybody else over. Can I cuss? Yes, you can. To fuck everyone else. So it's so nice. <laughs> I'm so I'm often teaching fifth graders and I feel bad and they know the words, but I'm not allowed to say them. It's like a weird song and dance. Anyway, so yeah, have let's say it. Be like everybody with me. One, two, three, fuck. Okay, so, um, so no, if your political belief, your the belief that you have about how power should be distributed is that it should only belong to white, cisgender, straight, Christian men, that's fucked up. I don't, I don't have to respect that because you also simultaneously believe that I'm not a person. So why would I even approach the conversation if you don't even think I'm a person? Like, that is so bonkers. But time and again, we see it. Like, And it's because of how our society is organized. We have folks like Thomas Jefferson who wrote, all men are created equal, da 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 while also enslaving 600 people in his lifetime. We don't get from that point to both sides of the argument in separate forms. It's together. It's because we highlight the people who are sometimes the most harmful and only look at the best things and then take people who are more marginalized and look at the worst things. And we do that to each other in communities. And going back to your example, we have white supremacy in the United States, which is anti-blackness and anti-Semitism, which means that even within black communities, you're going to have anti-blackness and have anti-Semitism. And within Jewish communities, you're going to have anti-blackness and anti-Semitism because we see it laterally as well. But the big lie is that we then look at each other as distinctly anti-black or distinctly anti-Semitic instead of, and then also the lie that we never work together. How do you think Motown happened, for example? Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, uh, I mean, with with comedy, with music, with just so many beautiful different creations. There's also uh, so many health programs that happened during Reconstruction that were, uh, you know, forwarded by uh, Jewish people. Also, Black people and Jewish people continue to live together. I lived right next to the Orthodox folks when I was in Brooklyn. And in Harlem, there's a lot of Jewish folks who live right next to Black folks. Everybody is being affected by gentrification. But 
it's the lie of the white supremacy for us to not look at what is, um, you know, oppressing us and to look at each other. Um, and there's a great political cartoon. I wish I had it offhand, but it's basically like a big boot and the big boot is capitalism. And you have poor white people, Jewish people and black people all being like, hey, get out of my space. And the boots literally crushing all of us and we're all dying. Um, and that's kind of a, a perfect encapsulation, but it happens across various communities. We see this with uh, straight cisgender white women um, feeling like they need to marginalize everyone who is also affected by patriarchy by denying access to womanhood. And what we see with that, specifically as it relates to trans folks in the UK, um, cisgender women, and, and for vocab, cisgender means that you were assigned of gender at birth and you still associate, believe, you know, identifies that gender. Transgender means you were assigned a gender at birth. You no longer identify as that gender. You're no longer that gender. That's all the difference is NBD. Um, and so in the UK, these cisgender women were trying to say, there's only one way to be a person. You can't get hormone replacement therapy through the National Health Service. Well, guess what? During menopause, people who are, well, it, it really depends on chromosomes and stuff, but usually people with a sex category female start to lose their estrogen and develop more testosterone, which is why you see granny with little chin hairs and stuff. Uh-huh. And usually people take estrogen for that to also alleviate hot flashes as your hormones change and everything. Well, guess who can't get hormone replacement because y'all were going to be transphobic, the cisgender folks. So we are simultaneously harmed by the things that we um, think that can be used to oppress others. Because when we look at things like civil rights movements, when we look at things like uh, fighting for reparations, fighting uh, for civil rights uh, improvements, that benefits everybody. There are very few people out here who are organizing only for themselves um, because liberation is not about trying to get yourself free and fuck everybody else over. That's just duplicating oppression. For sure. And I think that's, that's something that I never also understand why, why even people who have beliefs that are antiquated and are marginalizing of certain people, why they don't just realize it's their, it's to their benefit to get over that anyway, because a rising tide raises all ships. And because wouldn't you rather live in a more harmonious society? Even if you think transgender people are weird, think it privately. Don't say it publicly because you're not having a, a, a warring society. We're not constantly having to fight these battles publicly. It's a joke I was trying to develop the other day. I haven't said it out loud yet, so I don't know if it works, and hopefully it's not offensive. But the premise kind of being that, that that you don't need to embrace every group that – or just like you don't embrace every person privately. Obviously, we hope everybody evolves and starts to embrace everybody. But to say that transgender people, for example – or anybody in the LGBT community deserves the same rights doesn't mean you have to personally approve because I, mean, just I think the- abortion's a great example. Like you don't have to personally want an abortion for abortion to be legal. Exactly. That's a great example. And so just like the you thing is, don't want to just like you don't approve of the host, the guest host of Jeopardy's suit. My whole premise of the joke is that we can still say what we want privately. You can see somebody who you give all their human rights and respect to and treat them human and go home to your significant other and be like, what was that about? And talk it out and even talk some shit if you want privately, but just don't do that on, in the public square. That's what makes you a good person. We all talk a little shit sometimes. I think that the issue too, cause like I'm kind of of the opinion, like I did a quiz, I do pop quizzes on my page and I was like, when is it okay to say the N word? And I was like, if a black person gives you permission and like under the premise that you're not black, the black person gives you permission. Not only never, but I had one of the wrong answers be when you're privately at home and you say it into a pillow, like, no, but it's because when we do that, we participate in dehumanization. And so even if you think something like, you know, thinking something's weird, 
like that means usually not in the norm. But if you think something is bad and it's just a different way of being, that's going to affect how you treat people. So the whole things as it relates to, you know, anti-blackness, as it relates to um, immigrant rights and xenophobia, as it relates to uh, anti-Semitism, if you buy into any element of that thing, when the time comes and it will that people start targeting that group, subconsciously, you've already normalized an understanding that you're okay with their dehumanization, which means you start turning uh, an unseeing eye to folks who uh, are being deported. You start you stop caring about, or, or like what we see with the Capitol riots, where folks were super woke on anti-Blackness, but were not paying attention to anti-Semitism. And we're not talking about these super anti-Semitic tropes uh, that the different insurrectionist folks were fighting. And so that directly connects to that proliferating and to people being harmed. We've seen that with anti-Asian hate crimes where people are looking at this very narrow understanding of what it means to be Asian in America. And uh, we're seeing these hate crimes. And then when there are those hate crimes and people are being killed and harmed, then everyone cares. But it doesn't have to get to that point if we have a shift in conscience. So it's connected to that. And I think it's also because we don't do the work of loving ourselves in a way that is healthy. Oftentimes, thin people love themselves because they're thin and not fat. Mm -hmm. Sometimes white people love themselves because they're white and they're not black. Like, it's not that people are secure in who they are, period. It's that oftentimes we're looking at, well, at least I'm not that. That's a sinner group. That's a bad group. That's an out group. I'm not that, which makes me good. And if we have an understanding as a people, like as a community, as a like, you know, human society and all that jazz, where people understand they are inherently worthy of respect and that other people are inherently worthy of respect, then the conversation about housing unhoused people isn't that, well, that person doesn't work. They don't deserve what I have. It's that actually no one should have to work to survive in such a wealthy society when Jeff Bezos is out here just, you know, Scrooge McDucking into fucking coins. (laughs) This is true. This is true. No, that's a very good point. I guess the way I, I mean it is certainly never putting judgment on good or bad or I'm better or you're worse. It's my, my point is that you can not be all about something and not judge it. It cannot be, be for against you against it. Yeah. You don't exactly. have to be like vehemently against some shit. Like right now me and vegans, we're really having a hard time because I have a lot of vegans who like want me to be vegan and not happening. And like, <laughs> I decided to do some lessons on veganism instead because I feel like it's good to get like some good education out there. That's how I approached it. But I'm not going to go and like turn my whole life into being like, I can't stand the vegans. Like I have too much shit to be doing to be organizing my entire life around some shit. I don't, you know, totally, not totally about. I get it. It's over there. Not for me. Fine. I'm not going to go and try to fight legislation against veganism. But there are things that are if it's harmful. Right. So if veganism also like included like sacrifice of like people instead to like pay back the spirits of animals or some shit. Like I hopefully, hopefully that's not real, but let's pretend. Okay. So um, then that would be a cool thing to be against because it's harmful. But if something is just out there and it's just a different way of being and it doesn't affect you, then leave it the fuck alone and make sure. And and the other step is not just live and let live, but protect that person's right to live and not be harmed. That's we the other step be, that has to happen. We have to be willing to fight for people who even we might not understand. We might and not. And it's not yeah. like when we say that too, though, because the people are like, they, so when pe- people say that, like, oh, we have to, you know, respect the people that we might not agree with. They immediately jump to the white supremacists. And I'm like, no, it's a trick of society oh, that yeah. we humanize the people 
that have all of the humanity at all times. Like when we talk about Me Too being unfair, we're not thinking about all of the people who don't have the means to get accountability because they've been harmed. We're thinking about those poor, oppressive people who are right. abusers and whose careers are being ruined. No, and yet, so that's when the line gets drawn is is except for the oppressors. You do not. That that is the bad group. There is judgment allowed, and that's when somebody is oppressing others, judging others, and trying to keep others down. When they're that boot, yeah, you're gonna cut that boot off. That boot yeah, needs to be it burned. Has to go. Period. 100%. So that's the step. I think that when people think like when I say humanity towards others, respecting each other, and also fuck shit needs to be out there. Like, no, we're not doing the fuck shit. We're not doing oppression. We're not doing abuse. Yeah. It's about the people who just want to live and are denied that life because of who they are and not because of who they are, but because the way their system, the systems of oppression are constructed to harm them. Yes. And those are things that need so much of a collective effort to unwind that if you don't realize that we can't keep being derailed by this false equivalency, this whataboutism that keeps pulling us into, yeah, but the other side, it's like when, when Trump did that speech saying about the squad, right? They should, if they don't like it here, go back to the country they came from, aside from the fact that three of the four were from this country, which is just insane. It doesn't make sense. But I was tweeting, if you don't respect the fact that this country is meant to be inclusive of everybody and that this is a melting pot and that all people are welcome here, you should get the fuck out. Those Period. And, you know, I have raised at least $1,000 off of bigots telling me to go back to where I'm from. I'm from Los Angeles, California. My parents, Los Angeles. My grandparents, Los Angeles. Before that, slavery. That's why I'm here. And so, like, I didn't even choose to be here. That's the fucked up thing. And But I'll have people who are like, I'll be like, all right, I'm taking the message. This is like 2016, 2017. I'll get out of this country, but I need re- relocation expenses. So I put up my PayPal and people would be sending me money. And I donated that to immigrants rights organizations and refugee rights organizations. Um, because people well are so, thank you. People are so illogical with their hate that they will put money behind something that they don't even really understand just because they want an immediate solution. So weaponize that, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, but it's just so ridiculous because even with, uh, you know, I had do, I had done some stuff around the 4th of July and had the 4th of July Independence Day, but also like, kind of a lie because a lot of people were oppressed you know most of the folks in the country Uh (laughs) and people were like go back to where you're from i'm like i'm sorry but your incompetent president made it so all the borders are shut to us (laughs) i would love to go but y'all suck (laughs) so it's like what is the truth it's not logical and and i think that what also troubles me and when people look at like the insurrectionists at the capitol white supremacists and they go well they're just stupid they're harmless whatever they just have guns no they can be we don't we don't have to have a negotiation of intelligence before we just objectively say they have access to shit that they shouldn't have access to weapons and they have access to places they shouldn't have access to society because they're harmful um and they get leeway leeway from cops that wouldn't give most other groups leeway because they identify with them secretly and are cool with them and or the president is legitimately saying go in there and do do what you gotta do there were more police at the protests I was arrested at than there were at the Capitol riots for quite some time, which is just like a fact that you just have to sit with. And then when people kind of like challenge you, they're like, oh, my gosh, why don't you stand for the, pl- the Pledge of Allegiance? And you're just like with that in your mind. And you're just like, it's all I can do not to scream at all times, you know? Yes. I mean, that that is such a good point right there is that and that's something that I've been talking a lot about lately 
is that it just is becoming, we're not trying to make this so. Like my grandfather was a Republican. He was my hero. Republican Party historically has stood for some really great things in the past, but it has now become the party of white supremacy. It's become the party of oppression. It's become the party of greed, ultimate greed, and just keeping people down. Oftentimes it seems just to be a dick, just to be spiteful. <laughs> it's unreal how it reflexively they take that opinion. And, and so it seems always that, that people on the right in this country are protesting against people's rights and people on the left are protesting for people's rights. And those are not equal things. Why are there more cops at a protest for Alton Sterling protesting for human rights, for dignity of people, for lives not to be snuffed out randomly? And there's less at a thing protecting our democracy. And they're trying to take away the right to vote, take the invalidate the election. They're saying, let's not guard that. They fight against someone's right to choose. They fight against the ability of all people to be treated equally. But they do that. They do that shit. They make abortion illegal and then they remove all of the programs that help single moms. They remove all of the programs that allow them to continue their education and to get something that will actually make sure that kid isn't suffering, isn't malnourished. So they're just fucking everybody up from all angles. And it's about retaining power. And I think that an important part of the left-right discussion is that like all of this country was built on some bullshit and we just continue to not look at it. And then, I mean, I did a deep dive into Abraham Lincoln being massively racist, but he's been so like, I don't know, woke washed. Is that a thing? We'll call it that. He's been so woke washed. Like at the end of his, his last speech he gave before he was assassinated, he said, if Louisiana has to let the black people vote, he said, Negroes has to let Negroes vote. Cool. If they can't cool, as long as they join the union. And people are like, wow, Abraham Lincoln at the end of his life completely and unequivocally supported black people voting. And it's like, how did you get that from there? He was just kind of, I'm not going to be the president to fuck up this shit. And that permeates through everything. And so my partner, Akeem, throughout December and the beginning of uh, January was writing about for um, the National Security Program at London King's College, what it's like to have this white supremacy and to know we have the stats on the rise of you know white supremacists joining the police force. But it's about the lack of policy. And we still are in this place where we're looking at it as a lack of information well, we don't know where they are. No, we know exactly where they are. We know where all of them live. We just don't do anything about it because we are such a white supremacist institution. We struggle with looking at white supremacy, even if it's harmful to us. And it is. I mean, you can see, I mean, the um, the bombing at the Atlanta Olympics was an anti-choice white supremacist. And like the, these things are intimately connected, but we can only focus on making shit up like black identity extremists, which we were all labeled at the, after the protest, black people who want to be alive. What a dangerous terroristic group. Opinion Blair wanting to be alive. According to who says you get that right. I know who, who really, who truly, and shame on me for not being white. Like it's a mess. And so it's just constant. And it's because we woke wash everything instead of looking at, um, the real context of, of anti-Semitism in this country and how um, Jewish people were denied refugee uh, status here. That's why my grandfather was in Detroit um, in the early uh, 40s. The only reason why he got here was because his father, Vasil Lupu, was able to um, designate himself as a Christian on paperwork, come in through Cuba and then go to Detroit. Otherwise, they would have been harmed. They would have been targeted as Jewish people. And so it, it is very interconnected. And people get really confused when I tell that story because they're like, Blair, are you also Jewish? You can't be all the things. I can, first of all. But he adopted my mom. Um, and so just to see that we have none of that context. And so 
we are told to be happy about things and we're blamed for those things. And kids grow up thinking that it's their personal failure that shit is so bad when it's really designed to be this bad. It doesn't have to be this bad. Like people say the black women's wealth gap could be closed in the next 50 years. That shit could be closed tomorrow. Biden could sign some shit saying you have to pay everybody at your firm the same amount if they're in the same position. That would close that gap. But there's no transparency. And it's because of power. It's political beliefs. It's beliefs about the distribution of power, the distribution of capital um, based on race, based on gender, ability, et cetera. And it's fucked. But it's right there. So my whole thing, my goal is to just get people on the same page about it, because I think a lot of people just aren't. People are just like, I'm sorry, I thought there were two genders. And I explain it and they're like, oh, everything's aligned. I'm like, yes, great. Welcome. And if we can get more folks on that same page, then we can regroup and fix this shit. Mm -hmm. Well said. Do you think any part of it is is that people are so defensive about their own group that they sometimes close their ears? Like, like, I'm just kind of just thinking top of my head here, but like, Potentially, maybe instead of saying we have to stop white supremacy, saying we have to stop group supremacy, we have to stop the concept that any group thinks they're better than anybody else. Then it becomes about humanity. Well, then we get legislation like why we have such strict gun laws in California, which is because the Black Panther Party was, you know, getting guns to protect their own communities. And it becomes about uh, conflating pride in an oppressed right. and marginalized group with supremacy so that sounds good but like mm, but that's keep what like, that keeps what being what's you know pushed and then there's pushes about like oh we shouldn't be talking about my mom says all the time your whole defund police thing it's very scary you're not going to work but it has to be that because in america we're not a com- c- country of of nuances this is not france nuance means shade in french it's it's not something that's like Oh, we, we just, you know, we're not Canada. Sorry, Canada. We're not, you know, we're very extreme. So why would we put the things that are so life and death into the softest terms? That's what the democratic party does. They try to go to the middle every time and it fucks the shit up. We have to, I mean, the one thing that I will say about the right is they are great at marketing and they're well-resourced. They make shit up. That shit is catchy. It's horrible, but that shit's catchy. Mm -hmm. And we have to get out of our own like asses as liberals and as progressives and being so cherished about this elitist. Well, I have the knowledge and you don't shame on you for not knowing like during the insurrection, people were like, don't you know, that's not how a thing works. No, people don't know this shit because our schools are underfunded, which you should be fighting for instead of telling people, sorry, instead of telling people (laughs) that they don't know. anything, It's just ridiculous. And so the ego has to go, um, and we see it with uh, the polls that come out around Republicans voting that these people are less educated, whatever. Why? It's because it's more viable for these people to go serve overseas to be able to sustain their families than it is for them to go to school and have a path because all those schools are defunded by, yes, the same group that they're voting for. But it's it's beneficial for them to do that. So we have to understand from a humanity perspective, like you're saying, that everybody wants to work in their own best interest. And sometimes they conflate their own best interest with power. And their access to power, which is why so many Americans think that they're middle class when they're actually living in poverty. They're impoverished. Um, and I think that, like, it's just the sociologists who are writing about it are not the easiest to read. And that's a function of academia. A lot of the answers are there, but they're not out in the world. And it doesn't get put onto prime time because it's not the most interesting thing to watch. So that's my lane. Making that shit interesting and easy to, to understand. Um, but I it's wish it was so important. easy. Yeah, but that's the most important. That's really such why that's why your work is so interesting, smarter in seconds. You watch a 30 second video from you and you learn so much about an issue that people just hear and they don't take the time to to study 
or learn about. You can learn the basic premises of it in 28 seconds. It's really, really helpful. And everybody should follow at Blair Armani on Instagram and search the hashtag smarter in seconds. You'll be educated in five minutes on 20 topics. It's pretty incredible. Thank you. And I made it because my mom, like literally that's her attention span. If it's not The View or <laughs> Entertainment Tonight or People Magazine, she's kind of like, sorry, sis. And it's like, she's she hasn't read any of my books and she thinks I don't know, but she hasn't. And so I'm trying to figure out how I get somebody who's like my dad, who's super cerebral, went to school in Boston, which means Harvard, and like who's interested in all the deep dives and then somebody who just doesn't give a shit. But if I put it in her language and if I make it interesting, she'll pay attention to it. And now it's a book deal. So that book will be coming out at the end of the year. And it's basically a, a codex of all of my trying to do a deep dive into academia, but make it in plain language because we're not going to like pedagogy and epistemological and obfuscate ourselves out of oppression. True that. True that. Yeah. I barely know one third of those words. So I totally. Yeah. If, so I don't drink anymore, but if I played a drinking game, it would be to read academic articles. And every time you came across the word reify, which means to make more concrete, which I learned last year, <laughs> you'd be shit faced reading some of these articles. <laughs> Yeah, that's the key is we have to use those Frank Luntz words that work that the Republicans use so well, that the right uses so well. Trump was brilliant at that, too. It's his best skill is just knowing how to give a nickname and a catchphrase and just people run with it. He's the he, he should have had a different life in marketing and he would have made his billions of dollars and not ruined the planet. But um, so what you're doing a lot is helping to 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 set on fire the movements that people need to be able to catch on, to hold on to these ideas in much more attainable, easy to grab ways, which is beautiful. I guess my last big question is how do we combat to me? I'm still not finding any really good answers to this. And to me, it's the biggest question currently over time. That's so sadly really Trump accelerated so badly is how do we get truth back? Because now mm. you'll get this horrible list of terrible things that the other side does. And their followers will literally say it's not true. I mean, Trump will admit that it's his followers at the Capitol. And then I see interviews on Instagram last night, people being like, that was Antifa. That was actors. That was paid. That was fake. How do we get any semblance of progress when we can't even get a semblance of truth going? I'll tell you what doesn't work and what I think might work. Cause I was doing some research on this. A lot of folks think that the solution is to have non-biased news, which again, participates in that bullshit other side fuckery um and to find a centrist person a walter cronkite who's going to be secretly racist to himself and cover <laughs> things when it's objectively the worst you know i'll cover selma when it's literally something i can't turn away from but i'm not going to humanize black people consistently i don't think that works that's what we've been doing forever there's a book that i have called um colorblind i don't know where it is but it's colorblind the white woman looks at the negro and she's been she in 1946 when she, she would say things like uh, black people are just black because of the equator and what it is. And they, we should be accepting them, even though they smell different. So like high, high key 1946 racism. But the stuff that she was suggesting is what we were suggesting in, in 2020. Buy books from black people, hire black speakers, read black authors, all these different things. But if we've been trying that, what hasn't changed? And, and so one is we have to get rid of this cowardice to not say when something's bullshit. 
and to sit with that and not re-fortify it. And I think in the UK, they've done somewhat of a good job on it with the exception of Brexit and also imperialism. But recently, at least, they have a lot of policy around who can pay for what and a lot of transparency about it. So on the BBC, they can't have any paid product placements on any of their shows. They can't have any uh, advertisements during the broadcast, which has really had to keep them honest because they aren't beholden to a sponsor to keep that honest. But also, people have to have a shift in conscience because... I don't have wealth to redistribute. I got some money to redistribute. That's some different things, you know. But if we can take care of ourselves and then look beyond what is immediately in our best interest, the only thing that keeps people or keeps institutions going is people. And people have to know that and look at the protection that they have and also be, you know, giving a fuck about changing things for the better. But a lot of people don't uh, and we can't make them. But I've seen it since Trump left power, you know because he wasn't taken out of power by any means that as soon as Twitter was absolutely sure that they couldn't get fucked over by taking him off the platform and their investors weren't going to be harmed or whatever, they took him off. Mm-hmm. And then you're seeing Reuters really name things like Trump repeats lies. If we started out with like that a year before he was president, we wouldn't have laughed him all the way into the office. And so um, I, I think that it's also looking at these things so like McGraw Hill and all these different textbooks in Texas and California, they set what the textbooks are for the rest of the country. And they're going to reinforce things that are lies. They're going to say things like enslaved people were workers. They're going to um, help to fortify these anti-Semitic claims of conspiracy because they can. And so it's kind of making uh, apparent all of these hidden things, but also intimately knowing throughout that the people who are in power are empowered to maintain power, not to make themselves obsolete. And a lot of what's going to take place is that people are going to have to recognize, okay, maybe it's not best for this show to be on the air forever. Not your show. Your show's great. But like, you know, whatever primetime show to be on the air, maybe the ratings that we get from Tucker Carlson tonight isn't worth all the harm that he does to people. Um, and that's somebody who, from somebody who came out on his show on accident. That was and so, quite, a clip, quite a clip. Thank you. Um, and so it's just, people have to be understanding that what is, the most clickable isn't what's the best thing. And what I'm really interested in right now is with tech companies. I, I meet a lot with different tech companies to try to change their policies to understand that like they have to be, you know, they have to be concerned, but they don't always care. But if we get section 230 passed, which will shift it from being an internet service provider on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, to being a publisher where they are responsible for what goes up on their page, they'll have to make those changes. So in that case, legislation becomes very powerful. But again, Don't hold your breath because there are so many lobbying groups that will exist to try to prevent that from happening. Of course, Um, but also, also, it's very much what you, what, what, what we're saying. You were saying a minute ago about the 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 phraseology and the branding of stuff. It needs to be shock. All Republicans just vote against fourteen hundred dollars stimulus checks. Shock. All Republicans in, in in the House just vote against human rights. Disgust, shock. We need to use those tactics to frame it so at least we can get past some of the lies and some of the framing can we can just at least slowly start to push more. We we are seeing the country get more and more blue and more and more um accepting of all of these different opinions, new realities, evolving realities, which I guess that brings me one last question. I know I said that already, but you brought something up that I, I just remembered was what you and I were going back and forth for a minute in DM on Twitter on Instagram about was you said that you didn't think Harriet Tubman should be on the 20. And I was so confused by that because. Oh, but I found something that we can honor her with though. I was actually excited to talk to you about this. So for context, y'all Harriet Tubman in her lifetime, because of capitalism, because of exploitation was enslaved. 
And it wasn't years and years ago. It was 1913 when she died. And I did a, a posted a pop quiz and people thought she died in 1813. No, it, you know, she was alive in the century, um, this past century. And so um, she was anti-capitalist in the work that she did. If you look at her legacy, she was very much against uh, workers being exploited. Her whole thing was about liberation and getting as many people free as possible. And she participated in, in the Civil War. Uh, she participated throughout Reconstruction and she died poor because there were no reparations programs for black women. So then to put her on the 20, which is currency to procure property, which she was in life, is a fuck you to her and a distortion of her legacy. And it also doesn't mean that any black women will get more access to that because I I can't remember the statistic, but black women basically don't have access to 20s to the same extent that folks like Andrew Jackson do. And so that doesn't change anything. But there's a push right now for a, a... satellite, not a satellite, a telescope, clearly not a science person, a telescope to be renamed from a racist scientist to Harriet Tubman. And it was created to study the North Star. And the North Star is what she used to help people get free. I think that is a comprehensively better way to honor her (laughs) than to put her on money to have just, it just, it's, it's, it's symbolic, right? But it's also not harmful. And it's also way more deep than just putting her on the 20 to replace Andrew Jackson. Um, it's that honoring is, her legacy and connecting it intimately. That I think is beautiful. And so maybe that's the, that's, that's the move for her in particular, but you'll admit, I, I assume that a telescope is far less high profile of a thing that not tr- billions of people are going to interact with than money, physical currency. So would you support then a black leader being on that 20, because I think that is so important. We, we do. I think one of the best parts about what has been happening in recent years, the best signs of progress is the fact that these pushes for diversity in our programming, in our entertainment, in the things that we see in our society are making it just so that those old white races are just being forced to be left behind because look at the society around you, look at the people, look at the money, look at the things, look at the shows, look at everything. It's just a, it's a multitude of color. And that is the only way that it will just be ingrained in our brains. Like you said before about, you don't want things being ingrained as, as separate. Well, then that's the way to solve that. Isn't it to have us all just be everywhere. I think so. I, I mean, for me, it was really when I went to Kenya and I saw on their currency, they have black folks. I mean, duh, it's Kenya. But that was just such a thing for me because psychologically, I had never really tapped into the lack of representation for me to see that and just see in the billboards, there's just all black people. And I was just like, that makes fucking sense. But it was also like, I am now so aware of how that is so nowhere in America. Um, and so I think that having somebody like Madam C.J. Walker, who was herself a capitalist, she was the first, I think, millionaire black woman, or Annie Turnbull Malone, or having Booker T. Washington, who created the National Negro Business League, which is today just the National Business League, which is like the only case of something being created for black people and then like as an organization and then being like, but everybody, a little all lives matter there. Um, I think those are great people to be on there. But for somebody who was specifically anti-capitalist and who was enslaved, um, it's a little different. And so... Uh, I'm not against it in principle. I'm really just trying to preserve Tubman's legacy in that case. But I think Annie Turner Malone, Manna C.J. Walker, Booker T. Washington, great candidates for that. Um, also, we could do the thing that Costa Rica does. They have some really cool little capuchin monkeys on their currency. Um, we could, you know, cycle it through every couple of years like they do in, in Canada. Um, and that's been the most interesting thing to me is I've learned so much about other people's currency as it relates to this conversation. But we do have a lot of like old, dead, really fucked up white guys on our money. And 
it's not just the money that has to change. It also has to be about the distribution of power and money. It can't just be one or the other. And I mean, one is a good place to start, but it has to be followed swiftly with other action. So that way they can't go, hey, we painted Black Lives Matter on the floor um, and we're going to give the police a billion more dollars. So be quiet, you know. Yeah, it cannot just be symbolism. It has to be concrete things. But symbolism does matter sometimes. And maybe one day down the road, we'll see you on one of these dollar bills. I could see that. (laughs) I would support it. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to put that in my will to specifically not do just to spite you. Bet. No, I'm kidding. I'd be cool with that. <laughs> Where can people find you, Folly? What would you like to leave people with, Blair? Um, I try to communicate exclusively by carrier pigeon. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Blair Imani, B-L-A-I-R-I-M-A-N-I. Um, I'm very easy to get in touch with. It's almost a little bit dangerous. And so, yeah, follow me. Um, subscribe to my YouTube channel, which I'm, you know, rearing into gear. Um, I have my Smarter in Seconds on Instagram, educating reluctantly on Twitter, but still there. And my book, which is coming out at the end of the year. Can't wait to read it. Thank you so very much for being here. And thank you all for listening. I hope this was an instructive and enlightening conversation. I loved having it. And we will see you again very soon because until last week, next week, this has been Last Week on Earth. Last Week on Earth.